This is the last in the How to Pray series based on the teaching of the Lord's Prayer to His disciples. That is an example to follow. And um, if you missed any of these, you can go back on our Facebook page and, and uh, go back in the history and watch those again. Um, we hope to have them on our website so you can listen to the audio even download it if you want. We do have a podcast that gets updated when we update there. But we have gone through how to pray. And last week we talked about how to pray for God's provision. And this week we're going to, fo we're going to focus on, um, well, the next week we prayed, we, also, we prayed on God's will, how to pray for God's provision. Last week we talked about how to pray for God's forgiveness. Forgiveness. So we, God's will, God's provision, and then God's forgiveness. And today, we're going to pray. We're going to talk about how to pray about temptation. And as I mentioned before, I believe the Lord's prayer is foundational. It is progressive. It one builds on the other. For example, you cannot believe or ask for God's provision until you pray for God's will. And both of these set the stage for us to pray for forgiveness and we're walking in trust in him. We're praying for forgiveness and we walk in forgiveness. That leads us to uh, the area where we have to address temptation because when you are doing your best to walk according to God's will, you are praying God's will concerning your provision and you are walking in forgiveness. You are a walking target for the enemy. And he wants to do everything he can to get you to not go down the path you're going down. So one more time, we're going to look at the overall foundation, even before Jesus began to tell his disciples how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, so we're, he's coupling, this is Jesus's instructions. He's coupling giving to the needy. Um, with praying as well. So when you do these things and your motives are not public, they are motivated by your relationship with the Lord. That's what we're looking at. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, here it is, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, then your then uh, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Then this is how you should pray. So we're talking about doing things in secret, praying in secret, and um, if if the follower of Christ is not ever praying in secret, if the only prayer time that they have is in a setting such as this, then they're not fulfilling Jesus' instructions of what we should do and how we should live. Just This is Jesus talking to his disciples. 
his followers, which we are if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this is how we should pray. Verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I'm going to recap uh, quickly the previous uh, focuses that we've had. So when we pray our Father in heaven, uh, the prayer must involve the worship of the heavenly Father. He loves us. He cares for us. And uh, he gave his only begotten son so that we could have eternal life. And we pray, hallowed be your name, which means holy is the name of the Lord. We hold your name in the highest esteem. We would never do anything that would bring disrespect on the name of God, on our Christian walk in the Lord, on our church, on our family of God, on any believers. It's a careful life so that we walk in a way that we never bring reproach or never bring any negativity toward us, our Christian walk, our church, and our Heavenly Father. That is how we approach him. We respect him and we reverence him. How we live is a reflection on what we believe. Your kingdom come, verse 10. What we're saying here is that, God, we want your assertive power to show up right here, right now, to your people so we can destroy the, we can destroy the works of darkness, oppression, and sin, and that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on your people. And then uh, verse 10 continues, your will be done. As it, is in, as it is on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray your, uh, your will be done, we're asking for uh, that whatever he wants is what we want. We're not seeking him for just what we can get out of life, but we want first and foremost what he wants. We pray in verse 11, give us today our daily bread, talking about God's provision. We want God to provide us our needs physically, spiritually, and emotionally in every way. And we want that prayer to be fulfilled right now concerning his will. And we can really only expect to experience God provi God's provision, not for our own wants and needs and desires, but for what he wants, needs, and desires. We only can expect that through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we pray for God's provision, we do so not just so that we end up in a better situation, but that we end up in a place where we can extend God's provision out to someone else. Everything in the word of God is geared toward making us healthy in our walk and relationship with Jesus so that we can do something for someone else or do something, be the hands and feet of Jesus extended. He never expected his followers to just accept him and then do nothing else it is expected that we will be a blessing to someone else verse 12 and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors it is god's plan that we stay close to him so that the forgiveness he gives to us is fresh in our spirit and that only can happen through our relationship with jesus praying for forgiveness means that we walk in forgiveness we're asking God to forgive our offenses against him, just like we forgive offenses that are against us from others. And how to pray for forgiveness is we say, God, I know that you're forgiving and you're re you've released me from the guilt of my sin and all the wrongs that I have done because I have forgiven and released others because of their wrongs that they have 
uh, they have counted, they have done against me. And remember last week I, I talked about how that, um, that love keeps no record of wrongs. That's exactly true. We don't keep a record of wrongs. We don't keep a tally sheet. But we walk in forgiveness. And it's very difficult to do because the enemy will try to always bring to your memory. Because we, although we're called to forgive, it's difficult for that memory may still linger on. And the enemy of your soul wants to bring that memory all, up all the time to cause you to walk in unforgiveness. But we pray, God, forgive me as I have forgiven others. So this week we're going to talk about how to pray about temptation. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but, the word but means only or just. Lead us not into temptation, however, only or just. Deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So this example from Jesus on how to pray about temptation is absolutely powerful. If someone were to casually read through this verse, they might think the prayer is saying, God, I know you can lead me down the path of temptation, but please don't lead me that way. Lead me in another direction. If you look at that verse, somebody could have that understanding. But if you look really deeply, I want to be very clear about this. God never leads anyone into temptation. He never leads anyone into temptation. Never. So when what Jesus' instructional prayer is, Heavenly Father, lead us, but don't allow me to go down the path of temptation. Lead me, but don't allow me to go the other direction. That's really what this is saying. The very next phrase is, but, as I mentioned, only, however, or just, deliver us from the evil one, which is the devil. The devil is the one who entices it. He lays out the temptation in front of you, trying to get you to go a different direction than the way of God. So the real prayer is, lead me. And then we have to be passionate about following him. So we take that first part of the lead me not into temptation. Lead me. I want to isolate that phrase, lead me then we're not being willing to go anywhere except where he is leading. That is the key wording in this phrase. How many of you have ever followed somebody in a car when you didn't know exactly where you were going? And you didn't have any, and you followed them, and you were dependent upon following them, and then the question is, did they stay visible so that you could see them? Because that's important. If, so, if you're following somebody, you have to be able to see them. And if you catch a light and they don't, and they don't stop and go on, then you're like, I don't know where to go. Um, but if they stop and they wait until they see you again, then you can follow them again. How many understand that? You, you know that. That's true. That's really what our Heavenly Father does. We pray, Lord, lead me. And then we set out to follow Him. And we do that through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But how many know that there can be distractions? There can be delays that can draw our attention away from following the Lord. They can cause us to go in a hundred different directions. Each and every day you are faced with something that can cause you to be distracted from your Christian walk. And cause you to look and do uh, look toward things that are ungodly. 
The, uh, and so the, uh, the enemy, the evil one, the devil, uh, doing what he does can get us to look some other way. If he can do that, he throws out these temptations, especially when it comes to your weaknesses. Now, how many of you have weaknesses? How many of you? About half of you. The other half, I'm not sure about. Um, if you have weaknesses, you know what they are. Maybe nobody else knows what they are. But there are distractions. There are weaknesses. And that's exactly what the devil's keying in on. How many of you have ever watched wrestling? Or uh, maybe some would call it wrestling. Used to watch that with my grand when when I was little and my grandparents used to watch it and we'd watch that and you know and and they would cheat and they would do things that were unethical. But one thing that I remember is that if there was a weakness in that other person, they would target that weakness every time. Every time. If they had an injury and they'd already been successful, they would target that injury until it caused them to fall. And that is what they did. They went for the weak place. If you're prone to lose your temper, he will provide you situations to feed the potential flame of your anger so that you can just fly off the handle. That's what the enemy does. If your weakness is looking at things with your eyes that you shouldn't look at, then the devil makes sure there's plenty of opportunities to cause you to divert down that path. If you lean toward listening to music with lyrics that would never, could never be printed and passed out in church or given to your godly grandmother, then that's the trap that the devil sets for you. If you find that all you think about is the nicer material things of life that you want and it consumes your thoughts constantly, then that is leading you down the path toward greed and, you will, you, you, and it will never lead you to the direction that God wants for you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having nice things. But what I'm saying is that the devil can overwhelm you with anything that is a weakness to you and that's what he targets. And you have to recognize that. I could go on and on with other examples, but I think you get the point. In John 10, 10, Jesus said the thief, talking about the devil, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I have come that they might have life. So the devil's main purpose is to cause you to go down a path that is not the path that God would lead you. He, he does not cause you to go down the path. How many know he never forces you to go down the path? He just makes the path available to you and he simply makes it as inviting and as attractive as possible. That's exactly what he wants to do. That's his business. That's what he does. And James, you know, how, how many, I know I'm going to date myself here, but there's probably a few of you because I know there's some that are older here than me. Uh, remember <laughs> Flip Wilson. Flip oh, Wilson, yeah. the comedian. And he would say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil didn't make anybody do anything. James 1.13 says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. I think I missed that verse. James 1, 13 through 15. James 1, 13 through 15. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So when tempted, no one should say, God is, is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. There it is, reinforced what I said earlier. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire, the sinful nature, and enticed, tricked into going that direction. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what the enemy of your soul does, verse 14, he does everything he can to entice you because he wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to keep you from letting God lead you. And if you succumb to that, if you go down that path, it's kind of like the example I said when people are following each other. God just kind of pulls over and he's like, I'm just going to wait because I'm not going down that path because that's the path of temptation. I never lead anybody down temptation's path. So I'm just going to wait. And he waits there for you to get back to where he's at. The devil can use worldly ideas. He can use morality, philosophy, psychology, desires, governments, cultures, education, science, art, medicine, music, economic systems, entertainment, fashions, mass media, religions, sports. You name it. All of those things the devil will use in our culture to oppose God. He does that to oppose the people of God, the word of God, and the righteous standards of God. Some of the things that are happening in our culture and our society today, if you were just five years ago, think about these changes that we have seen that are going from the word of God further and further and further. Yeah. You wouldn't have imagined it. Certainly not 10 years ago or even 30 years ago. When you can know when you had more definition of what right is right and wrong is wrong. And those seem to be blurred. And now people are being challenged for their faith. If you voice Right is right and wrong is wrong. But it really doesn't matter what our opinion is. If somebody asks you what you think, what you think really is not relevant, but it's what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? So the question I ask is, what do you choose to fill your mind and your life with? What is it that is in your spiritual diet? What do you consume in your spirit? Your mind is a battlefield and the devil wants to deluge it with all kinds of useless thoughts. He will push the boundaries as much as, as, much as he can with suggestive ideas and images and sounds so that he can gain your attention. He will bring those, atten those things to your attention. He wants your mind to be constantly occupied with anything other than God. And I would just, just pause here and, and let you know that it's not just sinful things that the devil wants you occupied with. He wants your mind occupied with useless, immaterial things, things that don't matter. Just so he can cause your focus to be on something else other than God. 
If he can get you from the moment you wake up in the morning to not think about God, to not pray, to not get in your Bible, and to maybe entertain attending church every once in a while, then he succeeded because you're not being led by God. You're being led by whatever is influencing your life. And if God's not a part of your everyday life, if your relationship with Jesus is not a part of your everyday life, then you are not being led by God. And the pray about temptation is, don't, you know, lead me. But I don't want to go back down the path of temptation. It's very difficult for God to lead you if you won't follow. How many remember the game, follow the leader? And one kid always seemed to want to be the leader. And then the one who gets insubordinate says, I don't want to follow you anymore because I want to be the leader. It's my turn to be the leader. And so when the leader realizes that the leader's not going to be followed, then he says, okay, you lead. Now, in the kids' game, it's really immaterial and, and they can take turns following the leader. But in the spiritual realm, it doesn't work that way. When we say, I want to lead, then God says, you can lead, but I'm not going to follow. Lead me. That is our prayer. Lead me. John, 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves... The world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, say everything. Everything. First John 2, 16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away. Everything that you see, it's going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The key to eternal life is not just simply asking Jesus to come into your heart and life. And that is critical. That is what is required in order for you to go to heaven. But we are called to live for him and to walk for him and to follow after him and to do his will. And we know that if we do the will of God, we're going to live forever. That's what the scripture says. Now, we understand really what temptation is and the source of it. And we pray, Lord, lead me, lead me. I want to be led by you. But what do we do about it when the enticer comes? Because we know he's going to come. Philippians 4, 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Say everything. everything. Everything by prayer and petition. So you pray and then you bring your needs. And with thanksgiving, with a heart of gratitude and humbleness, you present your request to God. All of those things, you package them up and you present them to the Lord and you say, Lord, this is for you. And when you do that, it says, and the peace of God and the peace of God, verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
How relevant is that? It's absolutely relevant. It's saying, Lord, I'm taking everything that I am, every everything that I need in prayer to you. I'm presenting it to you. And when I do that, then the peace of God will stand at the door of your heart and will be a guard and a shield against those things that the enemy comes at you with. It will absolutely make a difference in your life. And you won't have the turmoil and the peace. Um, you know, the, 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 the saying, or you've seen the illustrations where, like, there's a devil on one shoulder and there's an angel on the other. And do it, do it. No, you don't need to do this. You need to follow this way because this is good. And there's good and evil in this struggle. That struggle is always going to be there. As long as we have breath in our lungs, the enemy's always going to come at you. For those weaknesses that you have. But how can you make the good or your relationship with the Lord win out over the struggles that you have with the enticer? It depends on which one that you feed. If you feed with godly things and you feed your spirit with godly things, then that wells up within you. But if you feed your mind and fill your spirit with what the devil uh, dishes out, then you fill your mind with the worldly things. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Things. Those are the things you're supposed to think of. You think about the godly things in life. You think about the pureness of the Lord. You think about good things and, and lovely things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in him, put, into, put it into practice and the, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you, but I need the God of peace with me. I need the God of peace and I need the reassurance to know. And when I just dismiss those thoughts that come and we have to, we have to take those thoughts. I don't think I put this, uh, put this in here, but we take those thoughts captive and subject them to the knowledge of Christ. That's what the scripture tells us to do. My former pastor, Steve Bookout, Put it this way, and I thought it was so, such a powerful illustration, but what he said was, he said, what you have to do is you have to know that the devil's going to be back and he's going to, he's going to try. And since you know that, you need to be on the offensive instead of being on the defense. And you need to make sure that you are, you are ready for him. And when he comes, and you know that he will... And you say, this is what I'm going to do when I recognize the attack. Have you ever had a fire drill or a tornado drill? Probably in school, you remember those things. If you work in a, in a company that does that as well, they do it in the workplace in many, many places. But they will do that. It's like, so when it happens for real, then you won't have to wonder what to do. You know exactly what to do. And how many times... You know, when someone's called on to do CPR or they're called on to do something and they, they, it's not at the top of their mind, but they've had the training and they know and they know that when this happens, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. And that training kicks in. And they always say this. They say, I, I just knew what to do when the, because it was so ingrained into their spirit. When the word of God becomes ingrained into our spirit, then we know what to do. You will have a peace when you purpose to think about the things of God. But pastor, I can't escape to 
to the endless escape, the endless barrage of temptation that the devil throws my way. The devil seeks to overflow your life with temptations. When the Israelites were delivered from the oppression of Egypt, many of them allowed the floodgates of temptation to sin be open to them. Because of this, this constant flow of temptation led them into sin, which and its effect caused them to be separated from God. They engaged in idolatry, sexual immorality, and grumbled and complained against the Lord, and God judged them accordingly. That's exactly what happened. Now, if you had asked them a long time before that, oh, no, I would never do that. I would never do that. But yet they found themselves doing that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul writes about this and he says, These things, talking about the children of Israel, these things happened to them as examples, as were written down as warnings for us. Those things that happened to the children of Israel were warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you, if you think you are standing firm, well, I'm okay. Then be careful you don't fall. We never get to the place where the devil will, will stop trying. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. That means that the devil isn't offering anything new. He uses the same old tricks that he's always used, and every one of them is addressed in the Word of God. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He understands you, but there is a limit and a restraint on what the devil is allowed to do in your life. And he knows that you can stand. Um, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out or a way of escape so that you can endure it. You have to recognize that the barrage of temptations is going to keep coming, but until you get through it, the Lord provides you the strength and the ability to stand, and he also provides you an escape route. You might not see the escape route and just keep pummeling you and pummeling you and pummeling you, but the word of God says that he provides a way for you to escape. When the overflow of temptation is headed your way, close off your spiritual and emotional and your thought floodgates to it rather than being overcome by the overflow and let the overflow of God's faithfulness, His promises and the Word of God flood through your spirit rather than the flood of temptation. What happens when you get tempted? You go to the Word of God. You go to something that edifies and builds up the Lord that talks about the name of Jesus. You get yourself with somebody else that knows how to pray and can help you pray through it. You get into a place where you're praying and you're talking to the Lord and you're surrounding yourself with worshipful music that will, that will bring your soul to that higher level. And what happens is you'll find that the devil cannot stand to be in the atmosphere. The atmosphere for which he used to be responsible for in leading worship, he cannot stand people bringing praise to the Lord. And that's why... You know, he loves it when people come to church and they don't do anything. He loves it when people come and they're just unresponsive, distracted, doing other things. And he's trying to fill their minds with something else other than what's going on. But I'm here today to tell you, as long as you recognize that's what he's doing and you shut that off. You know, he loves for people to text and drive. 
He loves for Christians to text and drive especially. Because he can really mess up somebody's life. How many know that in five seconds of looking at your phone, you can travel at 55 miles an hour the length of a football field? Mm -hmm. And I know how long that is because I used to be in marching band and was on the football field a lot. And we used to have to march back and forth up, up that field. Should they be focused on texting? No, they should be focused on driving. Should be focused on driving. Driving is not just one thing. It's being focused, being aware of what's in front of you, what's to the side, what's behind you, and where you're going. People who aren't focused on their driving, and any of us have had this experience, you know in your mind where you're going. If you're going to work, you're going to school, you're going someplace else where, where you know, you know that at a certain time my exit's going to come up and I need to be ready to get off of this exit. And I have a habit. When we're coming to church, Memorial is a left-hand exit. But I don't get over until I pass the entrance from Sheridan because it's also a left-hand entrance. And if I'm in that very left lane before the people getting on from Sheridan, you know, I wait to see that it's clear and then I get over just right after that point and I know this. And there are people each and every day, they know where they're going, but there's someplace else other than driving. Yes. I've seen it right. on my way to work. It's like they had no idea where they set out to go that day and three lanes over, like 50 yards before the exit, they just do one of these across yep. three lanes yep. of traffic. Yep. And it's like... Did you not know where you were going? I mean, I, I can't believe that. It's hard to understand. And you're thinking all of these things that you need to be focusing on. And if the enemy of your soul can get you distracted from focusing on your walk with the Lord, from focusing on the things that you need to be focusing on, like prayer, reading the word of God, attending church, and surrounding yourself with godly influence in your life and your music and your entertainment. Oh, pastor, don't preach about entertainment. There's a lot of ungodly things that are out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember the Brownsville Revival. Yep. Back in the 90s, Brownsville Revival was a powerful move of God that happened down in Brownsville in Florida. And um, after the revival, I, I believe it was after the revival, Steve Hill, who was the evangelist at the revival, went on different cities and on an, a, a tour called Awake America. And he came to the Maybe Center, and we attended that. And there are a few events that I've been at the Maybe Center where it has been at capacity. And that was one of them. The Maybe Center will hold, if I remember correctly, 10,640 people somewhere in that neighborhood. And there was not an empty seat. And we were there. Steve Hill Evangelist said this, and this was in the late 90s. He said... If you are watching content, he said, if you're watching movies that you cannot put on the screen in front of your church on Sunday mornings, then you shouldn't be watching it. Amen. And in that maybe center, it garnered about a third applause because there were people there that that really hit home with. And I'm not here to judge you. And I'm not here to say what you should and what you shouldn't do. This, the Bible says that. The Bible says what you should and what you shouldn't do. Amen. What I'm saying is that when you're close to him, 
And you're allowing him to lead you. And the things outside influences that the devil will try to bring into your life that mean nothing in spiritual context or are very dark or lean toward a little bit of darkness, they won't matter anymore because your appetite will change toward the things of God. When you say, Lord, lead me, then you're saying, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for a move of God. And I've got to have you more now than ever before. And when you, your floodgates, when you raise the floodgates of the word of God and godly influences in your life, they will hold against the powers of even the darkest and strongest temptation because the word of God says you will bear everything. You'll be able to withstand everything that comes against you because he is faithful. Keep your floodgates up and he will provide a way out. You can endure it because he's faithful. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Let yourself go under the authority of God. And this is not a new problem. It's, it's been something that's been in our culture for a long time. And I, I recognized it. Probably 30 or 35 years ago. And that is that um, there seems to be, and there, it's absolutely evident now, but at that time you could see what I deemed as the infancy of a lack of respect for authority. Now I understand rebellion is nothing new. And to brash up against authority is something that has been going on as long as time has been going on. <clears throat> but in our culture today, there seems to have become this, not just a rebellion against authority, but an animosity and a hatred for authority. Anything that is something that is against what I want, I'm not going to listen to and I will not submit to that and I will not allow that to be influencing my thoughts and ideas. So what that means is that there are people that won't go to a church that preaches the whole of the gospel because it challenges them to get right with God so they want to go to someplace else that tells them what they want to hear and, and reinforces their ideas. And I'll su submit to the authority as long as it is what I want. And uh, I think I mentioned this quite some time ago. We talked about, we talked about honoring your, your parents, your, your father and your mother, and that if you were in the Old Testament... Uh, that was one of the two commandments that if you didn't do that, you'd be taken out and stoned. You'd be killed. That's true. And so I heard a, a preacher say recently, he says, so you tell your teenagers uh, if, when they rebel up, it says, good thing you're not living in the Old Testament because you'd be dead. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't even speak against what their parents were talking about because their parents had the authority. Now, when the, the, when the, the children are no, no longer under that authority then they are, 
It's not the responsibility of the parents. But what this is saying is that, God, I want to submit myself to you. I willingly will allow you to be my authority. Children are much the same way. They have to submit, and it has to be reinforced by the parents. I willingly submit myself to your authority. I willingly allow you to say what's best in my life than not. When we do that, we have the ability to resist the devil. If you don't submit to God, you can't resist the devil. If you don't submit to God, you're not able to resist what he brings on. So the only way you're going to escape temptation is to submit yourself completely and wholly to God. And when you do that, the scripture says you have the power to resist the devil and then he will flee from you. He won't be able to stay. Colossians 3, verse number 1. This is actually the whole chapter, but it's so good I couldn't leave any of it out. Colossians 3, verse number 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts. Everybody say hearts. Hearts. On things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. Everybody say minds. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. So it's a two-part process. It's the heart, the whole of your being. Set who you are in Christ toward the things of God. And then allow your mind to point in that direction as well. Because how many know that how many know that you can be here, but you can be thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch? How many know that you can be driving down the road and you cannot be thinking about where you're going, but you're think, going to be thinking about what you're do, going to do once you get there. You're not thinking about the trip. You're just driving. You're just mindlessly. So what the Lord is saying, it's not enough to just set your heart, but set your mind as well on the things of above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, and I want you to get this in verse 4, Christ Who is your life? Christ, who is your life? He is everything. He is your very life. When he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 5 says, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these The wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its old practices and have put on the new self it's like taking off the garment so it's it's not that you come to christ and he fixes everything in your life he provides you a way to escape eternal punishment and the sins penalty for the eternal punishment but then he calls you to live a life that is right it's a choice that you make it's not something that he comes down and does now there was an expectation at one time that that uh, And I believe the expectation is still there, but people don't really recognize it or try to live by it, by and large. They try to be a Christian and live and walk the way they want to walk. My grandpa was a Pentecostal preacher, and when he got saved, he used to smoke cigarettes. And he got saved, and he 
brought his cigarettes and he laid them on the altar because he thought, if I'm going to commit to the Lord, I'm going to lay aside everything that could be addictive, harmful, and bad for me. And I'm going to lay it on there. And somebody asked him this. He said, Brother Raxdale, did the Lord take your cigarettes away from you? And he said, no, sir. He said, I was just man enough to lay them down. I was just man enough to lay them down. We've got to be man enough or woman enough to put aside the things that will harm us, that will cause us to go into places where we shouldn't go. I remember there was an evangelist that came to our church and we attended uh, a faith assembly many years ago. We, we went there up to about the year 2000 and uh, this evangelist's name was Glenn Shin and uh, he was talking about it and to gauge from when he was talking, I would say... And his age about that time, it was probably around, uh, probably I would say maybe the late 1950s to early 1960s. And he got saved and uh, there were certain things that Christians just didn't do. You didn't find Christians doing certain activities because it, they were considered worldly activities. And can I tell you that if the Lord considered them worldly activities, then there's still worldly activities today. It's not just the activity, but it's what happens at the activity. What goes on? What's the content of it? And um, so he had a friend after he got saved that said, why don't you come to the dance with me? And then Christians didn't dance. That was the expectation because dancing was worldly. Why? Because the music was worldly and the gyrations of the body were worldly. And so... That was the expectations. And so he went. He, th he thought for a minute. He thought, I probably shouldn't do that because I'm a Christian now. But he was a new Christian. And then he thought, well, maybe I can witness to somebody there. <laughs> so he goes. And he's dancing with this girl. And they're dancing around like this. And he starts telling her about the Lord while they're dancing. And she says... You mean you're a Christian? And he said, why, yes. And she says, well, what are you doing here? Because the expectation was that this is really not something that is pointing to God. Verse 10, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of his creator, you put on, you wear like a garment the things of God. Here is no here there is no Gentile or circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So it's all about Christ. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity let the peace of christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful that the message of christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns, hymns and songs from the spirit singing to god and with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god for the father uh, god the father through him so whatever you do, do something for the Lord. Let your life be evident that you've got a connection and you've got a relationship with the Lord. 
So verse 13 of our text, and lead us not into temptation, but however only are just deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So how do we pray about temptation? How do we pray about temptation? Here's the prayer for temptation. Lord, lead me in your ways. Only so that I will not travel. And I think I've got a slide on this. Lord, lead me in your way so that I will not travel down the paths of temptation. When the devil comes, deliver and rescue me from his enticing efforts to lure me away from you. Because your kingdom will last forever, as will your power and your glory. Amen. You have that on the screen, Ryan. The prayer for, about temptation there toward the end. There we go. Lord, lead me in your ways only so that I will not travel down the path of, of temptation. But when the devil comes, deliver and rescue me from his enticing efforts to lure me away from you. Because your kingdom will last forever, as will your power and your glory. Amen. That's the prayer about temptation. That was the conclusion of my message. But this morning early, the Lord brought something else to my spirit. And I want to share with you. In Luke chapter 4, you probably know this story. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. So for 40 days he was led to this lonely place by the Holy Spirit. He was not led there to be tempted. He was led to this place that was lonely and in that circumstance, the devil came and for 40 days, not just one time that we read about, all 40 days he was tempted. And we read about the culmination of that temptation here in verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, which is directly from Deuteronomy 6.13. Uh, excuse me, it's actually from Deuteronomy 8.3. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of the, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, right from the word of God from Deuteronomy 6.13. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. It is written, the devil's now giving the word to Jesus. And telling him, this is what the Bible says. The same way that he did in the Garden of Eden when he told Eve, well, that's not what he said. This is what God said. And so he, this is what the devil said the word said. And, and this was alluded to from the scriptures as well. He said, he will command his angels concerning you to guard up carefully. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered in verse 12. He said, it is said, 
Another word for it is written. And this is from Deuteronomy 6.16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Each and every time he prayed the word. So you know the enemy's coming at you just like he came at Jesus with the temptation to look away to something else, to do something that is ungodly or to go in a different direction. He may even try to use the word of God to get you to go someplace else and twist it into what he wants it to mean. You will never pray a more powerful prayer than when you pray the word of God. That will be your most powerful prayer, just as Jesus did here, did here when he was in the midst of temptation. When the devil had finished this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It meant he was coming back, but he didn't. He just left right there. He couldn't stand the word of God. So when you confront him with the word of God, that's what happens. The word of God is powerful. You get that into your spirit. And the way of escape is the word of God. You get into the word of God and it causes him to think twice about attacking you. And when he does, and you know how to handle the word of God because you've been in it, then you know. And then I want you to get this because when he had gone through the temptation... When he had been there, he had resisted the devil. He had gotten the word. He was submitted to his heavenly father. And it says in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. I would submit to you today that when you go through that valley of temptation and you stand firm, you resist the devil, you submit to God completely and fully. And when you resist the devil, you come back fully charged in the power of the Holy Spirit and then you're not mired down in your own world of temptation but you are empowered so that you can be a witness to somebody else and you can be a help to them as well. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the power, the glory forever. Amen, amen. Live a life fully submitted to God. That's how to pray about temptation. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us, according to your word, the strength that we need to resist the devil. Lord, we do that by submitting to you. Lord, I know that there are some that are probably listening right now that have struggled in some areas of being distracted and not allowing themselves to have given you their full attention and their full desire and their full uh, thrust of their relationship with you. Lord, I know that there are things in the world that are pulling us in different directions, but we stand here today and we ask God that you would bring us back to the place where our desire most completely and fully is turned toward you and you alone. As we submit and surrender to you, we just thank you for it. We praise you for it, God, because we know that the enemy will come and we will resist him and he will go in another direction until another time. And we'll have won the victory again through our relationship with you, Jesus. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.